Hey, when you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about those out-of-pocket costs. Now, that could be a lot of money, but are your medical bills accurate? Now, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills actually contain errors. Now, HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, or fraud. Now, you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, to date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Check them out online, healthlock.com. Go there today. Now, nowadays, 20 bucks barely gets you a burger and fries or maybe a quarter of a tank of gas if you're lucky. You know what it will get you, though? For just $20 a month, you can get unlimited talk and text and plenty of 5G data from my cell phone company, Pure Talk. Make the switch today, and if you do it today, you save an additional 50% off your first month. They use the same 5G network, same cell towers as the big carriers, and most families saving close to $1,000 a month. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean, that's Sean, S-E-A-N. Make the switch today so you can actually afford that burger and fries. Hey, warmer days remind us of fond summer memories. Now you can make those moments year-round with a Michael Phelps swim spa by our friends at Master Spas, and that combines the leisure of a hot tub with the exercise benefits of a pool. Now Master Spas technology is incredible with LED lighting, beautiful waterfalls, and those super powerful water jets installed in just one day. You're going to love it. Proudly made in America. Use the promo code Hannity in the upper right-hand corner. That's masterspas.com for up to $1,000 off. You can exercise, relax, recover with the only hot tub and swim spa brand I trust, masterspas.com. Let not your heart be troubled. You are listening to the Sean Hannity Radio Show Podcast. All right, glad you're with us. Write down our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. A lot of ground to cover today. It's 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of the program, huge reaction to our town hall last night uh, with Donald Trump. Yeah, we had a bunch of protests. So entertaining. I mean, I'll be honest. All these people, Black Lives Matter, started chanting, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. So they're being taken out of the hall. And I'm like... Excuse me, all lives matter. Uh, We just had a a pretty raucous, fun, rowdy crowd. But more importantly, I think we did something last night and we'll do tonight that nobody in the media is going to do. And that is go deep in depth on significant substantive issues and solutions to the problems our country is facing. One of them has to be dealt with. These problems have to be dealt with. You know, in the course of interviewing people, even if it's an hour-long interview and you're trying to cover, let's see, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Egypt, Libya, you know, all of these things. It's And then you add the economy into the mix. It is nearly impossible to do it. And I just knew last night was an opportunity to do something you'd never see in the mainstream media. You'd never read in the New York Times. You'd never read in the Washington Post. No major network. The Clinton News Network for certain would not touch this. And that is giving you, and I started the show with this last night, information about how massive this issue of illegal immigration slash refugees is and the impact that it's having on the country. And I went over all of this and then to add, you know, some reality to how bad it is. We had these wonderful families, these mothers that lost their children at the hands of illegal immigrants, and we're not protecting Americans here in our our society. And so I went through, for example, I'm going to give you some of these numbers. 
And pay close attention because every number I'm giving, it's either about your tax dollars, it's either about your families being impacted by crime, and and the cost to our educational system, our healthcare system, our criminal justice system. I mean, the, the Federation of Pew Research now tells us there's 11 million, 11.3 million illegal immigrants in the country. 11.3 million. Now, if 11.3 million in the country, let's say all of them just wanted to come here for a better job, better opportunity. All right, great. Well, what about those people that want to bring damage and harm to your town and your city and our country? What about those people? Because if 11 million people can come here because they want a job, well, so too can ISIS, Al-Qaeda, the Muslim Brotherhood, radical jihadists of, of whatever whatever persuasion. It's all the same thing. They want to destroy anybody that doesn't convert. It's convert or die. It's advance the caliphate. Anyway, so you look at the Federation for American Immigration Reform. These are numbers you'll never hear in the mainstream media because they'll very rarely print them. They certainly won't paint the picture on a canvas as completely as as we did last night and we're doing here. We spend $113 billion every year on illegal immigration. $113 billion. That's coming out of your pocket. If you look at states and local governments, they bear the brunt of that cost. They're paying $84 billion a year also. And they don't have any choice. Oftentimes, it's the federal government, the policies of Barack Obama. They make the decision about what they're going to do with criminal aliens. In most cases, they catch them and release them. And they give them a bail. And they say, well, you are to appear on this date. Okay, do you think any of those people show up? Nope. They just go back out. Then they get arrested again. No problem. Just give them bail and they'll jump bail again. It doesn't matter. You know, $84 billion a year per states are, are shelling out that money. You know, we're spending $11 billion on medical care, $10 billion in general expenses, nearly $9 billion in, in justice expenses, $5.3 billion welfare-related costs. You know, all right, so we have 95 million Americans out of the labor force. By the way, since Obama's been president, 20% increase black Americans. They've been disproportionately impacted. All right, so we have 95 million Americans out of the labor force. And then you look at the labor force statistics, 8 million that do have jobs are illegal immigrants. And illegal immigrants make up 5.1% of the U.S. labor force. Well, I think that would help those people that are looking for jobs. And not only that, when you have more people competing, it drives down wages. So people do get the limited jobs that are available because it's the worst recovery since the 40s. Then then we're at a point where, you know, you're going to get paid a lot less than you otherwise would if we were securing our border. The Migration Policy Institute has an estimate that of the 11 million illegal immigrants in the country, 820,000 of them are convicted criminals. That's nearly one in 11. And the most recent numbers show you know, 55,000 illegal immigrants were being held in federal prison. And we even have a federal crime data breakdown from 2015. 36.6% of the more than 70,000 federal sentences for offenses were committed by, you got it, illegal immigrants. Let me say it again. 36.6% of the more than 70,000 federal sentences given out in 2015 were committed by illegal immigrants. In other words, if you look at drug trafficking, illegal immigrants were responsible for 18% of those crimes. If you look at kidnapping, hostage-taking, illegal immigrants were responsible for 30% of those crimes. If you look at drug possession, illegal immigrants were responsible for 75% of 
those sentences, if you look at money laundering, 10%, 21% for national defense sentences, 5% of, of murder sentences. Now, I was with uh, Governor Perry, and we actually will show this tonight. Governor Perry joins our town hall in Austin with um, Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump, and Senator Jeff Sessions of Alabama. Anyway, I've been down to the border more than anybody I know in the country in terms of reporting on it. But one of the times I was down there was at the Rio Grande. Actually, while we were taping a live show, a family from El Salvador was caught, you know, like 100 feet away from us while we were actually doing the show. I've been out there when gang members were arrested on our side of the border, crossing over into the United States. Anyway, so you've had 642,000 crimes committed. I got this briefing when I went down to Texas with Governor Perry, who's a great guy. You know, just against Texans alone in a seven-year period. And that, yeah, and that, that number did include some being murdered and some rapes. So I've been down there. I've been on horseback, all-terrain vehicle, helicopter, boats. You name it, I've done it. And I've been everywhere from the Rio Grande to tunnels dug in a San Diego office building from Mexico. I've seen this up close. I've seen the drug warehouses. I've seen it all. Narcotics, floor to ceiling, more than you'd ever imagine. Now, you think this is so overwhelming that the American people would actually want to talk about this, but all they say is, oh, you're going to kick out the children. What are you doing? We're not, we're not trying to hurt children here. We're trying to protect our country and preserve American jobs. And what we're saying is that it's a national security risk for America to have open borders. We're saying it's hurting American workers because all these illegal immigrants, they come over in the country, they want jobs that Americans desperately need right now. Because there's been no recovery. One in five Americans can't find, one in five American families don't have a single family member working. One in six men, 18 to 34, in this country are either incarcerated or out of work. I mean, so Donald Trump saying, hey, this is a good idea. By the way, I think it's beginning to show in the polls a little bit. Donald Trump continues to make a pretty, this is now the Pew poll was the first poll that pointed this out. But anyway, there is a poll that shows out of Florida, he's making a lot of progress since he's been reaching out to minority voters, and that started with his Milwaukee speech when we were with him last week. He fully gets one-fifth of the black vote in the latest Florida survey. And by the way, he's up two points in that, in that particular poll in the very important swing state of Florida. But anyway, 22% of African-American voters in Florida support him. Well, I, if you're a black American, what do you see? A 58% increase in black Americans on food stamps. You see a 20% increase of black Americans out of the labor force just since Obama's been president. Anyway, the, the poll hit as Trump is visiting Tampa. He's got a midday rally at the state fairgrounds, and it shows Trump with a two-point lead over Hillary Clinton, 43-41, with a 2.7% margin of error. And uh, if you look at the poll, Clinton supported by 68% of of black Americans, black voters in Florida. And if that holds nationally, she loses. If Donald Trump can get these numbers of black Americans that have been disproportionately and negatively impacted by the Obama-Clinton policies, he will be president. Obama got 93% of the black vote in 2012. If Hillary doesn't do at least 20 points better than where she is now in Florida... She's in big trouble. And if he didn't have all these Republicans sabotaging Trump and he could shore up his base from 75 percent to 91 or 2 percent, there's no way mathematically he could lose. But, of course, you've got selfish Republicans that aren't looking at the big picture. They're not looking at 
judges and Supreme Court justices or refugee issue or building the wall. They don't care about any of these things. They're not looking at Hillary's tax increases and spending increases. They're not looking at health care and keeping Obamacare versus free market health care savings accounts. They're not looking at the big picture. And you got everybody's got their own little agenda in life. It's unbelievable to me, and it's beyond ridiculously selfish. A, a friend of mine actually wrote me a note. This, the painter John McNaughton. I've actually bought a few paint, paintings from this guy. I'm not a big art person, but I, I just love he writes. He, he's a, an incredible artist that draws a lot about political themes and religious themes. And I think he's just enormously gifted. And I just happen to love his work. You know, so he points out that people in this election, he gave me three categories he thinks they're falling into. Well, I'm too good for this. A person that won't vote for anyone who compromises their belief. You know, it's, you know, for example, I think some people felt they couldn't vote for Mitt Romney because he was Mormon, which was absurd to me. Anyway, or they have a single issue, you know, whatever that happens to be. And if they don't vote on the right way on that issue, they're not going to vote. Well, then you got the group that thinks they're, they're, they're too smart for this. And that voter will prefer to vote for a candidate that they know can't be elected, but is less bad than the others. They're looking for that perfection, he points out. Or the I'm too fed up for this, that category of voters. You know, that's not just, we don't have perfect people. We're imperfect people. The human race is a fallen race. We're a fallen people. We have flaws. We have faults. We, you know, all have sinned by far and fallen short of the glory of God. So you're not going to get the perfection that you're looking for. Uh, I've got to, you know, every single day we come on the airwaves, we can spend another day with another Hillary Clinton bombshell. Judicial Watch, God bless them, got this information, these new emails. You know, how did we not get over the course of these many years, the nearly 15,000 emails and, you know, another explosion just keeps coming from Team Clinton. It's, it's sort of like, to use a war analogy, not that it's war, it's like an IED a day, a landmine a day, a hand grenade a second. Anyway, the latest story, more than half the people outside the government who met with Hillary Clinton while she was Secretary of State gave money, either personally or through their companies or groups, to the Clinton Foundation. It's an extraordinary proportion. It shows how ethically challenged and how how motivated she has been from the beginning in enriching her interests and only her interests. But when you have 85 of the 154 people from private interests who met or had phone conversations scheduled with Hillary while she was the secretary of state donating to her family ch charity or pledging commitments to the charity to its international programs, according to the AP and a, and a review of State Department calendars. So 85 donors contributed as much as $156 million in cash. And at least 40 donated more than hundred grand each. And many gave more than a million. And then you look and you follow the money a little bit further and you find out, wow, not only did they the money they gave to the foundation buy them access, but it also gave them an opportunity, in this particular case with Hillary, to make money and enrich themselves, which ends up with more money in Hillary's pocket. Ponzi scheme, pay to play, bribery, whatever term you want to use. And wait till I tell you about Uma Abedin when we get back. All right, 800-941-SHAWN is our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. You know, as I go back and I look at 
these latest numbers. So you got Donald Trump now is winning 20 percent of the black vote. Latest poll coming out of Florida today. Um, Nate Silver put a comment on Twitter that I responded to. Nate Silver, 538, loved by liberals. He's he's had some success in his projections that he's made. He's also had a lot of failures this year that nobody seems to want to pay attention to. But I like his methodology. I, I find numbers fascinating, so I read them and I, I glean what I can from them. And he made the assumption or, or has the belief or is under the false assumption that I don't believe in polling numbers. I actually do. And while Donald Trump was down real clear politics average seven points just a week ago, it's now down to four something. So I take that at face value and I actually believe that, yeah, that could absolutely be true. There's another poll that came out today, the battleground state of North Carolina, statistical tie 44-42 in the latest Monmouth survey. Survey, So things are tightening quite a bit. And I think Donald Trump has probably had up till now, at least this week, a follow up to what I thought was his best week so far in the campaign trail. And that is he's not getting distracted by other issues like Judge Curiel or Mr. Khan or or I guess he did get a little distracted by Joe and Mika for a second. But short of that, Donald Trump has stayed on message and Donald Trump is talking about substantive issues. And that's what we did, and that's what we'll do tonight on this town hall about a specific issue that is impacting our country, as I outlined in the last half hour, which is immigration. And at the same time, you've got Hillary Clinton continue to unravel. You know, I said a long time ago on this program that the one issue that may end up defining this election may be emails, and I may turn out to be right. So you have Hillary Clinton, and now she's angry at the AP for their analysis, but it is what it is. I don't think the AP has a particularly conservative agenda. And what they have discovered is 85 of the 154 non-government individuals who got access to then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton had donated to the Clinton Foundation or promised to back their programs. Now, we're talking about money in the amounts of $156 million, $100,000 for a ton of them and, and over a million dollars for others of them. I mean, that's a lot of money. And among those granted time with Clinton included an internationally known economist who asked for her help as the Bangladesh government pressured him to resign, uh, to, to, not to resign, to resign from a nonprofit bank that he ran. And the Wall Street Journal executive sought Clinton's help with a visa problem and an Estee Lauder executive who was listed as meeting with Clinton while her department worked with the firm's corporate charity to counter gender based violence in South Africa. And get this, Clinton also met with representatives of at least 16 foreign governments that donated as much as $170 million to Clinton charities. You know, but they weren't even included in the AP's calculations because those meetings would presumably have been a, you know, part of her diplomatic duties. $170 million is real money. And what does that mean? Okay, you donate money. Then you got this guy, Doug Ban, running the Clinton Foundation. Doug Band, also they have Uma Abedin with different positions all over the place in Clinton world. She's getting three paychecks at once and Cheryl Mills. And so Doug Band would say a top donor, top influencer, top contributor is donating money. Can't get through to see Hillary Clinton or talk to her like the crown prince of Bahrain. Can you make this happen for us? Because he's a donor. And lo and behold, 84 of the 154 non-government people that see Hillary are donors. That means that you and me, average people, we don't get the access that they paid for. 
And in some instances, as I've described in earlier days, those people went on to get big contracts. One guy, donor, big donor to the Clinton Foundation, ended up getting the rights to do all the logging and forestry work in Colombia, for example, after he had dinner with the Clintons, who then met with Colombian officials. Oh, so that means he can make more money doing the the forestry work, and cutting down trees and raping and pillaging the planet for profit, and then they can give more money and kick it right back to the Clintons. Quid pro quo, pay to play, bribery, use whatever term you want. The AP put it, the frequency of the overlap shows the intermingling of access with donations fueling the perception that giving the foundation money was the price of admission for FaceTime with Clinton. Her calendars, her emails released as recently as this week describe scores of contacts that she and her top aides had with foundation donors. Well, that's why her promise or pledge that, well, if I'm elected president, I won't take foreign contributions. It's a little too late for that. They already bought their access and they expect a return on their investment. So it just reeks with more Clinton corruption. I'm not even talking about the dishonesty, the constant lying. She cannot. She just has and she's incapable of ever telling the truth. But it's obviously a violation of the pledge that she made before becoming secretary of state that she would not even create an appearance of conflict of interest. And she signed off on that on letterhead from when she was senator. So this was the, the perfect embodiment of pay to play, quid pro quo, bribery. And, and Hillary, you give her money. She offers you access. It's all in exchange for financial support. And then add to that a lot of these groups, corporations and governments also funded the Clintons privately and personally and enriched them themselves by paying massive amounts of money for one hour speeches. You know, 250000 to five hundred, seven $750,000 a pop. And that's how rich they've gotten off their public position. They're obsessed with money, these people. I've never seen anybody that obsessed with money. And you have to be a raging partisan not to see this because it stinks to high heaven. It's one bombshell after another. By the way, I want to give a slight tip of the hat to NBC News for reporting the next story. On their website, they reported since launching her bid for the presidency, Hillary has been a vocal critic of for-profit schools pledging in speeches around the country to crack down on predatory schools and help students drowning in student loan debt. But if they load students up with debt for programs that don't lead to good-paying jobs, students and taxpayers should not be the only ones left holding the bag, she said, in New Hampshire. She also slammed Donald Trump, saying he's trying to scam America the way he scammed all those people at Trump University. Now, Trump is not the only one who profited, according to the story. Over a five-year period of time, President Bill Clinton earned $17.6 million from the world's largest for-profit education company, Laureate Education, Inc., in his role, by the way, this was a for-profit university, in his role as honorary chancellor. $17.6 million in a five-year period. Now, Clinton has traveled the world on Laureate's behalf, extolling the virtues of the school. He gets the $17.6 million for-profit education. He's an honorary chairman. That means he does very little. A couple of speeches here, here and there each of the five years, and he's done. And experts for that for-profit school... Well, they now point out that that led to skyrocketing student loan debt. By the way, there's $1.3 trillion in outstanding student loan debt. One of our advertisers helps students refinance it. On average, trysofi.com, trysofi.com, 
You go there, you, they save on average students $19,000 over the course of their loan. It's amazing to me that people have, you know, 7, 8, 10% interest rates and they haven't refinanced, but they don't. Some people have credit card debts. They're paying over 15%. You probably would get a better rate from the mob. It's amazing. Anyway, NBC News gathered five current and former graduate students at Walden. This is in Minnesota. Collectively, they have $1.1 million in federal student loan debt incurred during their studies there, part of Laureate University. Now, they told NBC News that they believe that the recruiters misled them about the time it would take to finish their doctorate degrees and that the school said their student loan finance degrees would take only a handful of years to complete. That would lead to future job opportunities. I'll give you one story. A woman's name is Jody McGrath. She earned a master's degree in psychology. She began searching for a doctoral program in health psychology. She reached out to Walden. She said she called them, was told it would be a two-year amount of coursework, and then 16 to 24 months for her dissertation. Anyway, like other students that NBC spoke to, they said that the high faculty turnover rates, disorganization, lack of oversight seemed to perpetuate their her enrollment at Walden. Now, she was a good student. You know, she called it a rigorous two years. She had a 3.6 GPA, but it took her six years, four committee chairs to get her dissertation approved. Her first chair told her after a full year of correspondence that she was doing the wrong study and that she would have to find a new chair. And then McGrath said over the years she struggled to find new advisors and get feedback on her work. There were times that I sent 25, 30 emails just praying that somebody would write me back. I thought at some point, you know, at some level it was me. But, you know, maybe I'm not working hard enough. As crazy as that does sound. Anyway, they kept, she kept thinking things would get better, and it was a vicious cycle. Now she owes over hundred grand in debt. She finally did get her Ph.D., but as she points out, this school failed her. I was there emailing. I was turning in my work. I have no problem paying for a four-year doctor program, but I have an extra four years tacked onto my loan that was not my fault. Well, Bill Clinton has his $17.6 million. It's unbelievable. Wow, Trump, well, not, Trump has a 98% success rate. And people that wrote comments, even people that are now suing him, they said they love it. Now, I got one other story to tell you here today. And, it's a, and by the way, Hillary Clinton is accusing the AP of massive misrepresentation. You know, the squealing over this AP report documenting what is absolutely the truth. And they say the report showing this, you know, these people meeting and buying access to Hillary. This is a woman who met over 17,000 world leaders. Well, not why she was secretary of state. No. At least 84 of the 154 people from the private sector that she met or had phone conversations with, they were donors. So she was doing all that work there at the same time. Well, now we've got Uma Abedin. She's up to her eyeballs in everything Hillary Clinton is involved in. Mrs. Anthony Weiner. Anyway, uh, so for 12 years, she was the editor at this radical Muslim journal just before joining the Clinton State Department. Now, the Clinton camp, they're not denying she was an editor at this journal at all. They're actually saying, well, Nick Merrill, who doesn't even know. Well, my understanding is, is that her name was simply listed on the masthead in that period. By the way, it's in a New York Post editorial. She did not play a role in editing the publication. His understanding, they point out, he doesn't even claim he heard from Uma Abedin. 
Now, the editorial goes on to say, even if you buy this excuse, Abedin's conduct still stinks. She had to know how, you know, the Journal of Muslim Minority Affair, how awful they were. Her mother was the editor-in-chief. Her brother and sister were associate editors. Now, this Journal of Muslim Minor Minority Affairs, which used Uma Abedin, Hillary's close friend and advisor and supporter and gatekeeper, well, anyway, they promote a pretty hate-filled extremist version of Islam, and they have run, quote, scholarly articles that blame the U.S. for 9-11. And by the way, they even contradict Hillary's own positions on women's rights as being un-Islamic, a 31-page uh, piece written by Uma Abedin's mom. So she allowed her name to be associated with this. Imagine if Donald Trump allowed his name to be associated with any radical extremist right-wing group. Or racist group. You know, the, the media would never stop talking about it. Or let's say Donald Trump's kids or one of his advisors. Now anyway, she has publicly been dishonest about her mom's radicalism. My mother was traveling the world to international women's conferences talking about women's empowerment. Well, sorry, but if you look at the 31-page piece that her mother wrote, it's an anti-feminist screed arguing that female empowerment is not only un-Islamic, but does more harm than benefit to the cause of women and their relations to men. And then Uma was obviously key in getting her mother alongside Hillary Clinton in 2010 when they went to Saudi Arabia in a girls' school. And Hillary said Americans must do a, a lot better job of getting past the stereotypes and mischaracterizations of Saudi women as being oppressed. Wow. $25 million to the Clinton Foundation buys you an awful lot of, of lying from Hillary. Because we all know women in Saudi Arabia, Arabia treated horribly. They're told how to dress. They can't travel abroad on their own without a male. They can't leave the house without a male relative. They can't drive a car. Women in Saudi Arabia. And Hillary's saying we got, got to get rid of the stereotypes that, and the mischaracterizations that Saudi women are oppressed. Really? Okay, what about gays and lesbians? They get killed in Saudi Arabia. And what about Christians and Jews? You can't practice your faith in Saudi Arabia. You can't build a Christian church or a Jewish temple. So, I don't, you know, no mention of any of this. And, and Hillary stands next to a radical whose paper promotes the ridiculous conspiracy that the U.S. is to blame for 9-11. Wow, stereotypes and mischaracterizations of Saudi women as being oppressed. Wow, that's pretty amazing to me. Hillary Clinton supporting all of that. It has been reported you've made five million making speeches. The president's made more than a hundred million dollars. Well, if if you you have no reason to remember, but we came out of the White House not only dead broke but in debt. You made three speeches for Goldman Sachs. You were paid six hundred seventy-five thousand mm -hmm. dollars for three speeches. Was that a mistake? I mean, was that a bad error in judgment? Look, I made speeches to lots of groups. I told them what I thought. I answered questions. But did you have to be paid $675,000? Well, I don't know. Um, that's what they offered. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, every, every Secretary of State that I know has done that. But it's that's usually once their office and not running for an office again. Well, I didn't know. Known. To be honest, I wasn't. I wasn't committed to running. I'm really proud of the Clinton Foundation. I am proud of the work that it does. Thanks to the Clinton Foundation, nine million more people in our world have access to HIV AIDS drugs because 
they negotiated contracts that made them affordable. And there is absolutely no connection between anything that I did as Secretary of State and the Clinton Foundation. I've heard you say that there's no evidence that any of the donors who have given to the foundation received anything in response from the State Department while Secretary Clinton was there. Nobody even suggested it or talked about it or thought about it till the political season began and somebody said, well, what about this? Now, some of the companies that have supported the foundation for years, many of them before she was ever Secretary of State. She was a senator when I left office, right. so they do this, they do philanthropy too. No one has ever asked me for anything or any of that. Can you really say that these companies, these wealthy individuals, these governments, none of them sought anything? I mean, some of them did have business before the State Department. I don't know. You never know what people's motives are. And with respect to uh, the foundation, I am very proud of the work the foundation does. I'm very proud of the hundreds of thousands of people who support the work of the foundation. I don't think that I did anything that was against the interests of the United States. Do you understand, though, that the perception itself is a problem? No. You don't? No. Um, look, I don't want to get into the weeds here. I'm not responsible for anybody else's perception. I asked Kelly about this, and she said, you know, no one's ever tried to influence me by helping you. No one has even suggested they have a shred of evidence to that effect. I know how much money influences the political decision-making. All right, another day, another massive, huge issue involving the ethics of Hillary's and her campaign. It's like an explosion a day that keeps coming, and the bombshells keep coming, and it keeps coming, and it keeps coming back pay-to-play. First, we get emails that were requested years ago, nearly 15,000 of them. What do we find out? When she was Secretary of State, this relationship between the Clinton Foundation and her State Department, you have 85 of the 154 non-government individuals, those people getting access to then-Secretary of State Clinton, well, they're all donors to the Clinton Foundation or promised to back their programs. Now, combine those 84 of the, 85 of the 154 people shelled out as much as $156 million. Huge amounts of money. You have Doug Banks the guy intervening on behalf of a, a lot of people. Well, he was the Clinton Foundation. He was running the Clinton Foundation at the time. So you've got a probe revealing now $156 million to the foundation after meetings with the secretary. In other words, pay to play. Money buys you access. Now, the person that has been in the forefront of all of this from the very beginning, he's the author of the best-selling book and also was turned into a great movie, Clinton Cash. Peter Schweitzer is with us. The untold story of why foreign governments and businesses help make Bill and Hillary rich. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm great, Sean. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Well, congratulations. I mean, I think in many ways, because you were slandered and smeared and, and beaten up pretty bad by the liberal media, something we all experience as conservatives, but you got it pretty bad, but that didn't stop your book from becoming a number one bestseller, and number two, a great movie, and number three, uh, I think you can claim full vindication here. She says she was broke when she got out, but that's not true. How much money were the, did they make since Bill Clinton got out of office, by your estimate? Uh, well, the reporting is basically that uh, more than $200 million uh, they have made since 2001, um, and the bulk of that uh, has not come from, you know, 
book contracts. I mean, they were they were part of it, but the vast majority of them that were speaking fees, most of those overseas while Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. Let's go through the direct connections here. You have a famed economist who asked for her help as it relates to the Bangladesh government, and they pressured him to resign from a nonprofit bank. You got a Wall Street big shot who sought Clinton's help with a visa problem. You have Estee Lauder executives meeting with Clinton while her department worked with the firm's corporate charity to counter gender-based violence in South Africa. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Tell us all the examples you can think of where you see a direct connection, money either going into the Clintons' hands, into their foundation, and the access and the benefit of that access that people got. Well, I mean, that's the important point, right, is that this was a vehicle for getting access to the Clintons. Uh, you know, you played those uh, those clips at the beginning of this segment, Sean, where we're all familiar with money in politics. Hillary Clinton talked about that. We're used to the fact that, you know, guys that work for Wall Street firms uh, are going to raise money for candidates they want access. What's unique about the Clinton Foundation is foreign money. A lot of it is foreign money. And, and in fact, the Clintons now claim they're not going to take any foreign money at the Clinton Foundation. Foundation, that would more than cut their budget in half. So they are highly dependent on foreign money. And so you have entities like, for example, Gilbert Chigori, the, uh, the uh, uh, Nigerian uh, billionaire, uh, who was able to influence and get access to Hillary Clinton while she was Secretary of State uh, in a way that he wouldn't by giving to a campaign because he can't as a foreign national. It's illegal. So Gilbert Chigori, who is of Lebanese background, lives in Nigeria, he's not a U.S. citizen, has given millions to the Clintons, he got access, requested and got access to decision makers on U.S. policy towards the Middle East. Why is Doug Band, Bill Clinton's right-hand man, recommending that State Department officials meet with a guy like this? Well, in the emails, Doug Band says that this guy is, quote, very important to us. Why is he important to him? I can think of millions of reasons. It's, it's all about money and pay to play. And I can tell you, Sean, because I've seen them, there are more that are going to be coming out that continue to lay the pattern that foreigners got access to the Secretary of State because they were major Clinton Foundation donors. So the bottom line here is, is we now have direct evidence that people that donated to their foundation were given access and in many instances the access resulted in them making money because Hillary and Bill provided the access. Let's go through some of the examples. Uh, we know that call logs show that the slim fast billionaire, a guy by the name of Daniel Abraham, Clinton fundraising bundler, foundation donor, was listed in her date books for eight meetings, right? What, did he yes. benefit financially? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's hard to know precisely. I mean, what the Clinton people will say is, well, you know, there's no email that says they made money. But the reason that a businessman like Daniel Abraham goes and meets with decision makers is he's got business or commercial interests that he's concerned about. And I think as we start to unspool, these meetings are just now coming to light uh, because of the great work that Citizens United and Judicial Watch have done in litigating for them. So I think as we unspool them, we are going to see benefit and favors that came to these individuals. Um, but, you know, they have changed their story, Sean. Their first, 
the first thing they said was there was no intermingling of the Clinton Foundation with the State Department. Uh, that was their line of defense when these issues were first raised in Clinton Cash and when I was on your show. Now they've switched and said, well, you know, there may have been requests, but there's no evidence that favors were granted. Favors were granted, and I think in the weeks ahead we are going to see further evidence of that as this information continues to roll out. So you got another case where Clinton was the host of a, a September 2009 breakfast meeting with the New York Stock Exchange that listed Blackstone Group chairman Stephen Schwarzman as a major foundation donor. He was one of the attendees a day after the breakfast. According to Clinton emails, the State Department was working on a visa, a special request from him. And then Blackstone donated between two hundred fifty dollars to $500,000 to the Clinton Foundation. And eight Blackstone executives, they also gave between three seventy-five dollars and $800,000 and a Blackstone's charitable arm, they pledged millions of dollars in commitments to three Clinton Global Initiative projects. I mean, if that does not say, okay, do this for me, one hand washes the other, what's known right. as a quid pro quo, pay to play, buying access, and I think you can even use the term bribery, I don't know what is. I mean, no, because here's right, the bottom Sean. line. And, and, if, and, if she meets with 154 individuals and 85 of them are giving her money to her foundation and then they're benefiting financially, what about the guy that got the, the forestry rights in Central America? That's right. That's exactly right. Um, the, the pattern here is overwhelming. And, and here's what people have to recognize is if you look at political corruption cases in the United States today, you've got a former governor of Alabama, uh, Siegelman, who is in jail. In his particular case, he was charged and convicted on corruption. In that particular case, there was not even money that was going into his pocket. Um, he did favors for somebody who was donating to an initiative that he supported. A jury convicted him and sent him to jail. You have Senator Menendez of New Jersey. In the case of the Clintons, the evidence is absolutely so clear, and they're trying to argue this absurd standard, Sean, that you have to have an email that shows that the transaction went down. The transaction did go down, and it's clear by the pattern of behavior. Favors were done. Money flowed. That's why I think there's no alternative here other than an independent counsel. There needs to be an independent investigation. DOJ is not going to do this. They're highly politicized. Well, how and did they find the nearly 15,000 emails that had been requested years ago all of a sudden? I mean, that is another, you know, absurdity to me. It's sort of like the the Rose Law Firm billing records that had been requested years ago oh, they finally showed up. We found them in a box somewhere. Yeah, and that never exactly. made sense either. And I mean, a it lot just of the fits emails a pattern. Come, a lot of the emails that are coming out from Judicial Watch and Citizens United were emails that were not turned over. They include Hillary Clinton in some cases. They were not turned over when Hillary Clinton signed an affidavit with the State Department saying she had turned over all her business-related emails. Yeah. Then you got other examples. For example, Clinton met in June. June of 2011 with Nancy Mahon, or Mahon, whatever her name is, from the Mac Aids, the charitable arm of, of Mac, uh, Mac Cosmetics, which is owned by Estee Lauder. The meeting occurred before an announcement about a State Department partnership to raise money to finance AIDS education and prevention. The public-private partnership was formed literally to fight gender-based violence in South Africa. Now, the Mac Aids Foundation ended up donating between 5 and $10 million to the Clinton Foundation, and Estee Lauder's executive 
Fabrizio Frida was also met with Clinton at the same Wall Street event attended by Schwarzman. Later that month, Frida was on a list of attendees for a meeting between Clinton and a U.S.-China trade group, and Estee Lauder's given between one hundred and $250,000 to the foundation. Now, that's directly appealing for access that's going to benefit yeah. them financially. No, that's that's right, Sean. I mean, uh, companies like Estee Lauder have all kinds of issues relating to selling their products, market access in China, and to be able to be on on a State Department uh, visit that deals with that issue is enormously yeah. beneficial to a company like that. And people know it. And this is why, you know, it's not just a function, um, Sean, of explicit favors being done. We see those favors being done. Giving somebody access, a seat at the table, is enormously valuable for these companies. Well, and let me ask you this. that calculation based on who's putting money yeah, in Yeah, because then pocket, you have contact. I understand. And that in and of itself has value you to them and they're looking out for their own interests. What do you make of Uma Abedin's role in all of this and also Paul Sperry's piece over the weekend in the New York Post that she served 12 years as an editor of a radical Muslim journal until just before joining the State Department with Hillary. They're not denying it. They're just saying, oh, her name was just listed as masthead in that period. She didn't play a role in editing the publication because, all right, even if you excuse the mistake, it shows just how radical her mother is. And that's somewhat troubling. Well, Sean, I think Uma Abedin is central uh, to this. Number one, she is uh, you know one of the most trusted aides for Hillary Clinton. Number two, she was a person who traveled with her everywhere. So she is there at any point in time that somebody needs favor and an access. And a lot of the emails indicate that, that Doug Band's go-to person is Uma Abedin. And finally, let's remember, Uma Abedin, when she's at the State Department, is also on the payroll of the Clinton Foundation and of Teneo, but, which but is... this magazine that has her name on it that her mother is involved in and she denied publicly. I mean, they have articles blaming the U.S. for 9-11, denouncing Hillary's own positions on women's rights as un-Islamic. The 31-page writings of her mother is all over this. She's listed as an editor of this. It's like we have an extremist that could be the literally the next chief of of staff and that frightens me after reading what... Sean, it should. I mean, we can count on one thing. If Hillary Clinton is elected to the White House, if anything, the Clintons are loyal to their subordinates, and Uma Abedin will play a central role in decision-making and personnel in a Hillary Clinton White House if it comes to that. All right, uh, Peter Schweitzer, if you haven't read the book, Way Ahead of the Curve, he's been telling us all about these scandals way before they happen, and the media tried to dismiss them, but of course, they end up being true, every one of them. So much going on. Part two tonight, Town Hall. Wow, this got out of control last night. Did you see? You know, I'm trying to remember what happened when and where, Linda, um, because we did two shows last night, and I know we had all these victims. I I literally was biting the inside of my cheek so I didn't cry on television. It was so hard to sit there with these mothers that lost their precious children because of illegal immigrants, and then to discover in, in most of these cases that these illegal immigrants have been arrested before and set free by our government that doesn't enforce our laws you know, it's 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 beyond frustrating. I was I was glad to do it because nobody else in the media is ever going to tell that story. Just like nobody in the media in 2007 and 2008 was willing to tell you the story about how radical Obama was. Nobody's willing to get into the details and the weeds like we just did with Peter Schweitzer to tell you the level of of conflict of interest and bribery and pay to play that Hillary Clinton is involved in. And it is it's like on a daily basis. And still you got 47 percent of Americans. Yeah, I like Hillary. 
it's it's beyond frustrating. But uh, did you see any of the interruptions last night that we had on the show last Linda when you were yeah, watching? Because I don't know what protesters. was in what. What's that? The BLM protesters. Oh yeah, when they were walking out, I said, "By the way, all lives matter." Did that make it? Yeah, it did. It's no. very upsetting. I mean, you know, that's a group, you know, begging for respect and yet cheering on only one race and disrespecting these people who lost, you know, their their children. Yeah, and that's what the show was about. There was another moment. This was incredible. This woman, I don't know who she was. So one woman gets up and she's like holding a doll. I have no idea. I'm like, is it a voodoo doll? Is it a Barbie doll? I have no idea what this doll is. And she stands up. She interrupts. The crowd was great, by the way. They immediately would start chanting USA, USA, or Trump, 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 Trump. So it was, you know, we're sitting there laughing. I mean, this it didn't bother us in the least. We, you know, we didn't edit it out. But a woman who was sitting like three rows away on a, in a different aisle gets up, grabs her by the back of her shirt and literally walked her out. And it wasn't even a police officer. It was hilarious. I don't know. I if you love saw that, that woman. That woman is oh, a woman after my own. heart. That woman was a rock star. It was amazing. Uh, I got to go back and look at it. Was, it was she so screaming incredible. first of all as she did it? Well, no, it wasn't you. If it was first of all, first of all, that would have been you. But my kind of woman. It was. It was a really know, great show. It was when really, I bring really you good. on the road, I actually have to give you instructions: no hitting, no cursing, no f bombs, no b bombs, no s bombs. Then I kind of run through the rest of the alphabet. And when we meet people, I'm like, all right, now you, you can't you can't say this because people don't understand. That's just you know you were raised in the heart of Philly and not the best neighborhood, and we make allowances for you. Well, thank you, Sean. I really appreciate that. Although most people on the road encourage that behavior. Yeah, that's probably true. Oh, you mean they call? <laughs> no, what you're saying is you're not taking any responsibility for your actions. Listen, you're if they, blaming, if you're they blaming want the authentic walk, Linda, what can I do but give it to them? You, you no, know, you blame people that walk slow in New York and take pictures. In other words, they're called tourists with shorts on and and they're staring up at the tall buildings and it drives you nuts. Will you, will you freaking move? Come on, let's go. No, move, I move, have move, an move, issue move. with people who do what I call the stop and shop, which means you stop in the center of a street, you do not look around you, and you can't do that in New York because the sidewalks are as busy as the, <laughs> as the streets. Do, you can't do that because people like you get pissed off. Step to the but, side, please. Yeah, by the way, she does not use the friendly language that I would use. All right, uh, let's get to our phones. Debbie is in New York listening to the all-new AM710, the voice of New York. How are you? Welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. Hi, Sean. What's going on? The show last night was wonderful, and I have to thank you for doing things like that. If you weren't doing this kind of stuff, we wouldn't know how often this happened and that these people had already been arrested and let go into the communities again. Listen, I mean, I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I wish I could say, and I said this in, my, in the opening of the show last night, we laid out every fact, every statistic, every number. We had Rick Perry on. He'll be on tonight with us. When I sat through the security briefing with Governor Perry from 2008 to 2014, there were 642,000 Texans alone that were victims of crimes by illegal immigrants. Nobody else will tell that story. And, no, I, you know, no, I'm you glad to do us. it. I mean, but I would rather just solve the problem. You know, for example, the problem is under the current law, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security they are now free because they're not enforcing the laws of this country. 
to release as they have done. And you met family members last night that lost loved ones. They're free to release dangerous criminals into the in the cities and towns and American streets all across this country while they await deportation hearings. Now, none of these people ever show up. Now, the Department of Homeland Security does have the discretion to impose a bail bond requirement and or mandate for continued detention until those proceedings are held. Well, under President Obama, the department has opted to release thousands of these criminal illegal immigrants right onto America's streets, many have whom, and well, I know there's one number, 121 of whom, have gone on to commit murders that we know of. That's only the ones we know of. So they have the ability to detain these people, but they don't. They don't enforce the law. I kept asking Trump, well, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to enforce the law. These are the laws of the land. That's, you know, if Republicans want to understand why 65% of the electorate fought feels that they are betrayed, well, just look at 2014. You don't need go back that far. And in 2014, they ran, give us the Senate, and we'll stop illegal, unconstitutional executive amnesty. They didn't do it. And people literally are dying as a result. And I will predict to you, and this goes to all of you never-Trumpers, I keep saying, you go against Trump, Trump doesn't get 90% of the Republican base, you own it. That's right, politicians that promised, presidential candidates that promised, Washington Republicans that promised, oh, we'll support the nominee they don't win and those that are you know national review wall street journal hillary picks supreme court nominees and you've done everything you can do to sabotage donald trump's chances of victory you own hillary's supreme court nominees you own her refugees and whatever crimes they commit you own her illegal immigrants and whatever crimes they commit you own the economy you own the debt you own the deficit you own it governors of big states that aren't supporting donald trump over hillary well that's half a vote for hillary you own that too and i'm gonna hold all of you accountable i blame them then they're gonna say hannity you're responsible for trump I'm not responsible for Trump. You know who's responsible for Trump? Republicans created the atmosphere into which an outsider can win. And that's why Trump and that's why Ted Cruz, the two outsiders, did the best. And then Trump won because the voters put him over the top at record numbers. So, you know, you can say Hannity did it, but I gave access to everybody. And then I let the voters decide. And I'll take Trump's agenda over Hillary's corrupt, immoral, leftist, status, Marxist, socialist viewpoint any day. I'll take Trump's Supreme Court nominees over hers any day. I will enthusiastically pull the lever for Trump. And I'm telling all of you, you National Review types, you Brett Stevens Wall Street Journal types, you Jonah Goldberg types, you Bill Crystal types, you Lindsey Grahams and Jeb Bush types, I, you know, with all due respect, you guys made a promise. And all of you guys, when Hillary, if she wins, appoints a Supreme Court justice that impacts this country so badly for generations, you own it. You bought it. You own it. You're partly responsible for it. And don't come crying to me when the country disintegrates, which it's a, in the process of doing now. And the process is in decline. And the country's in decline. And I am saying there is on every issue a distinct choice to make here. And these people are a bunch of spoiled brat, crybaby, insecure, you know, t pick up my toys, go home, sore losers. It's unbelievable to me. Can't believe the level of immaturity and the circular firing squad they have now created for the Republicans. Tracy is in Texas. Tracy, hi, how are you? You're on the Sean Hannity Show. I'm good, Sean. Hey, Sean, I, I just, you know, look, I've been sitting back. Now, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm not 100% for Trump, but Trump did initially win me over when he was talking about building the wall and trade 
I mean, you did hit on a lot of good points. My question, though, now is, and I spoke to you last week about it, it feels like he's kind of, I don't want to try to make waves, but it feels like he's not being truthful to your own party. I mean, when he says the wall, and that was one thing, now he's softening his stance on the wall. This makes him wavering. So what, what do you feel about this wavering? Because I myself, I'm looking at it, and it feels like, I know it's got to be Luann. I think his, uh, his new advisor, she's softening him up. But do you think he can leave your party feeling betrayed? I mean, what do you feel in this issue? Listen, I think, you know, you're raising a lot of points here. I think that what Donald Trump kept saying when I kept asking him and watch tonight, because the opening segment of tonight's show, he does his own polling of the audience. And it's a pretty amazing moment, I think. And and there's a little bit of disagreement, but not a lot of disagreement. You know, the way you described it to me, and I won't give it all away because I'd, I'd rather you watch the show and hear it for yourself, interpret okay. it the way you want to interpret it. But what I heard him say was this. First of all, day one, criminal aliens, they're all out. We're going to send them back. And then we're going to plug up the hole of the boat, which is leaking water. And that is we're going to stop illegal immigration, a thousand miles of fence. He thinks he can build it in a short period of time. Then he's going to work on, you know, again, he went through all this last night. Those that overstay their visas and how we track them better and E-Verify and, and just a lot of different things. It's all part of the, the mix here. Um, as it relates to the others, uh, he was very clear, no citizenship, no path to citizenship. And what I think he's addressing is what so many on the left have they've tried to sort of create this narrative oh he's going to line up poor families that own their homes and and they're going to be walking across the border and there's going to be miles and miles and miles of people walking across the border and and they're going to be crying because they're forced out of america where they've lived for 20 years and well that's the way the media wants to portray it but that's not he's saying that's not exactly what we're doing but, so, but so watch it tonight, and then, then call me back tomorrow and see if you if you if you but, but understand a little bit better. Let me ask you this though before you go: yep. Was it his tactic to go so far to the right, and now this is his, I guess, late late evening push to push all the way to the other side? I mean, you know, he's appealing to black. He's trying. I mean, he's not. So, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. He's not appealing to black, but he, he's attempting to reach out to black. That's probably a better way. Can I ask you a question? One of the things you know, but look at has the black community. Is the black community better off or worse off under Barack Obama? But he doesn't speak the way I'm, I hate to say it. Maybe it's the teleprompter. But you need before but we go any further, you really need America. to answer this question. This is an important question. He is black America better off under the policies eight years of Barack Obama? Are you, are you asking me this question? That's a question for you. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes, we are. You uh, all right? Now, give me. Hang on, hang on. Now, let me. Let me no, 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 no. Give me a, any specific measurement that proves your point, because I have specific measurements that proves you're wrong. I understand it. Let me first go. Very. No, first no, no, no. Foremost. First go. Let no distract. No, focus with me here. You got to stay I'm on track with me. You got to. You, you have to. No, every time I ask you a question, you want to go off in another direction. Focus on my question. You say black Americans are better off under Obama. I'm asking you to back up that claim with any type of data you've got that confirms what you're saying is true yes first let me as a black man say what i want and don't corral me to a corner as a black i'm not man, corralling you into a corner Barack see the Obama, reason it, the reason you're saying that. i'm corralling you into a corner because you can't answer that question yes, I, I bet can. you listen first i'll tell you what i'll give a thousand dollars right now to the charity of your choice if you tell me how, one statistics where black americans are better off statistically better off under barack obama's policies tell me where I'm listening. Hang on. Wait, can we play the Jeopardy music? Let's play it again. Ready? I'll give. Hang on. Hang on. Ready? Set. Ready? Set. Go. That make the thought. Let me finish the thought. Give, give me that. Give me that. Watching a black family such as his, a Christian man, the way he's moving, he's a black man as a black kid, and I have a black daughter to look up to. 
And that is one of the first things. Two, he gave his health care, which I purchased, which I went through Aetna, I'm at the Molina, as well as Blue Cross Blue Shield. I watched how he trying to move for, for fair pay, a Lily Ledbetter Act. I watched as he saved GM. I watched as he went after Osama bin Laden. We may not agree as to the success of a lot of these things, but I watched for the first time in my life a black man achieve the level of being, just being in the role. and okay. being Him being, uh, listen, I asked, but you're not answering my, you see, the bottom line is this, and I gave you a chance to speak now. now. Now I'm going to pin you down on my question. I asked you, as a community, is the black community overall better having had Barack Obama as president for the last eight years? I asked you to cite me one specific example, statistic, where black Americans are better off because he has been their president, and you can't do it. And I yes, said, I'll I give $1,000 to the charity of your choice. Well, that's it. I'm talking about the black community, because I have numbers that I can share. I have numbers that I can share with you that prove my point. Are you ready to listen? Okay. Yes. There has been, there are, there, hang on, there are, 12 mi- there, there are 12 million more Americans now that are on food stamps, a 58% increase of black Americans on food stamps, a 20% increase of black Americans out of the labor force since he's become president. And then I can add to that the lowest labor participation rate in the in the country since the 70s. The black community has been disproportionately impacted more than most other communities in this country or demographics in this country. Home ownership rate is at a 51 year low and the same thing holds there. And that is that disproportionately more black Americans have been negatively impacted because of the bad economy. You talk about the stock market. If you are in poverty and you're on food stamps, we have, what, 8 million more Americans in poverty, 12 million more on food stamps. Disproportionately, black Americans are impacted by it. They're not worried about the stock market. See, but you cannot answer this question. And this is this is frustrating to me because you just send out these platitudes. Well, they got Osama bin Laden. I mean, all right, I, I gave him credit for that. He He did... The intelligence community did their job. He, he had the courage to say, okay, do the mission. All right, I give him credit. But Iraq has been surrendered down to ISIS. Syria has been surrendered. Afghanistan's a mess. Libya's a mess. Uh, everything, he supported Mohammed Morsi. It's insane. It has been reported you've made $5 million making speeches. The president's made more than $100 million. Well, if if you you have no reason to remember, but we came out of the White House not only dead broke but in debt. You made three speeches for Goldman Sachs. You were paid six hundred seventy-five thousand dollars for three speeches. Was that a mistake? I mean, was that a bad error in judgment? Look, I made speeches to lots of groups. I told them what I thought. I answered questions. But did you have to be paid six hundred seventy-five thousand dollars? Well, I don't know. Um, that's what they offered. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, every every Secretary of State that I know has done that. But that's usually once their office and not running for an office again. Well, I didn't must know. Have known. To be honest, I wasn't I wasn't committed to running. I'm really proud of the Clinton Foundation. I am proud of the work that it does. Thanks to the Clinton Foundation, nine million more people in our world have access to HIV/AIDS drugs because they negotiated contracts that made them affordable and there is absolutely no connection between anything that i did as secretary of state and the clinton foundation i've heard you say that there's no evidence that any of the donors who have given to the foundation received anything in response from the state department while secretary clinton was there nobody even suggested it or talked about it or thought about it till the political season began and somebody said well what about this? Now, some of the companies that have supported the foundation for years, many of them before she was ever Secretary of State. She was a senator when I left office. Right. So at, 
they do this, that they do philanthropy too. No one has ever asked me for anything or any of that. Can you really say that these companies, these wealthy individuals, these governments, none of them sought anything? I mean, some of them did have business before the State Department. I don't know. You never know what people's motives are. And with respect to uh, the foundation, I am very proud of the work the foundation does. I'm very proud of the hundreds of thousands of people who support the work of the foundation. I don't think that I did anything that was against the interests of the United States. Do you understand, though, that the perception itself is a problem? No. You don't? No. Um, look, I don't want to get into the weeds here. I'm not responsible for anybody else's perception. I asked Kelly about this, and she said, you know, no one's ever tried to influence me by helping you. No one has even suggested they have a shred of evidence to that effect. I know how much money influences the political decision-making. No issue better illustrates how corrupt my opponent is than her pay-for-play scandals as Secretary of State. As the evidence has become public over the last several months, I've become increasingly shocked by the vast scope of Hillary Clinton's criminality. Her actions corrupted and disgraced one of the most important departments of government, indeed one of only four established by the United States Constitution itself. The amounts involved, the favors done, and the significant number of times it was done require an expedited investigation by a special prosecutor. Some former prosecutors have even suggested that the coordination between the pay-for-play State Department and the Clinton Foundation constitute a clear example of RICO racketeering influence, corrupt organization enterprise. The Justice Department is required to appoint an independent special prosecutor because it has proven itself to be really, sadly, a political arm of the White House. All right, back to our top story of the day, News Roundup Information Overload Hour here on the Sean Hannity Show. We'll get to your calls this hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program? Don't forget Donald Trump. It's part two of our town hall. It was a rowdy and raucous town hall last night at uh, in Austin. A lot of fun. But anyway, back to the top story. 85 of the 154 non-government individuals who had access to then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, in fact, donated to the Clinton Foundation or promised to back their programs. And the donors shelled out as much as $156 million. And many of them enriched themselves because of this relationship in many, many ways. That's called pay-to-play. That's called quid pro quo. That's called, uh, uneth- in any sense, unethical. You know, she's talking about, well, if I am elected president, I'll have, I will shut down the foreign contributions to the Clinton Foundation. I'm like, well, you said you were going to do that with, as Secretary of State. Then on top of that, Hillary Clinton has a Uma Abedin problem, as pointed out by Paul Sperry, and that is that she served 12 years as an editor for a radical Muslim journal just up until the point she joined the Clinton State Department. Now, they're not even denying it at the Clinton campaign. They're just saying, well, my understanding is her name was simply just listed on the masthead in that time period. She did not play a role in editing the publication. Really? His understanding? Is that even a denial? He doesn't even claim to have heard from Uma herself on this. Now, if you buy that flimsy excuse, that doesn't 
take away from what she put her name to. You know, imagine any conservative, you know, puts their name to any radical publication, maybe a racist publication or anti-Semitic publication, whatever it happened to be. And you just say, well, I just they just added my name for 12 years to the masthead and I had nothing to do with it as far as I know. Anyway, this particular journal of Muslim minority affairs, her mother was the editor in chief, her brother and sister were also associate editors, like she was mentioned on, quote, masthead. Anyway, it promotes a pretty hate-filled extremist version of Islam, and it has run scholarly articles blaming the U.S. for 9-11, scholarly my fat, my foot, but denouncing Hillary's own positions on women's rights as un-Islamic, you know, in a particular letter that it relates to the mother. Anyway, Uma, at a minimum, allowed her name to be used with this radical publication, associates with radicals even within her own family, and she's been publicly dishonest about her mom's radicalism. She once said, well, my mother was traveling around the world to these international women's conferences talking about women's empowerment, and it was just normal. Women's empowerment, and that 31-page anti-feminist screed, Uma Abedin's mother argues that female empowerment is not only un-Islamic, but it does more harm than benefit the cause of women and their relations with men. And then Huma was plainly key to having her mom speak alongside with Secretary of State Hillary Clinton when she visited a girls' school in Saudi Arabia. And that's where Hillary said Americans must do a better job of getting past, quote, the stereotypes and mischaracterizations of Saudi women as oppressed. Well, women can't drive. Well, women are told how to dress. Women can't travel without a male guardian. They can't go to school or, or work without their permission. I mean, up until this year, they couldn't even vote for crying out loud. Really? That's women's rights? And women, of course, need four male eyewitnesses to prove rape. It's unbelievable. Gays and lesbians are killed in Saudi Arabia. There's Hillary supporting the whole thing and taking up to $25 million for the Clinton Foundation and another $10 million for the Clinton Library. Dan Bongino's with us. Now, I have endorsed him. He is running for the U.S. open house seat in District 19. That's Southwest Florida. That's Fort Myers and, and Naples. And I have a condo down in Naples. And it's a place I'd love to live one day. And I would love to have longtime friend be my congressman. He's also a former Secret Service agent. He wrote the book, The Fight for a Secret Service Agent, the accounts of uh, all the security failings in the political machine and life inside the bubble. And uh, Mr. Bongino, how are you, sir? Hey, doing great, Sean. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Uh, all right. First thing, what do you think about Huma's Aberdeen? Now, in a Hillary administration, I assume she would have a pretty high position, maybe even, maybe even you know, a top position, maybe chief of staff. Who knows? What do you think about this background and this, well, they only use my name as masthead. And by the way, my mother wrote these things about women. And I put my mother alongside Hillary Clinton in Saudi Arabia and to talk about how great women are being treated. What do you think about all this? You know, what's really shocking about Huma, Sean, that all of this information has been out there for eons. None of this is a mystery to guys like you and me who've been following this for a long time. The problem in the country, though, it's not so much Huma. You know, Huma is a problem in and of herself. It's that the media will never cover this story like they were would if it was a Republican. You know, as I was listening to you set up the segment, I was thinking, do you remember Steve Scalise? Uh, he went to that yeah. meeting and it was some kind of like a, a white supremacy thing. He just happened to be in a hotel and speak at this thing. And it was, that was it. It was a media firestorm. This guy needed to be hung in effigy. And that, meanwhile, no one could even prove that he even knew what was going on down there. All they proved is that he talked. It. Mrs. Clinton 
hired Huma Abedin, and she still works there. All of these comments are out there about the treatment of women in Saudi uh, countries, their allegiances to the Muslim Brotherhood and all this other stuff. And nobody seems to care in the media, Sean. They don't even think it's a big deal. Well, and the, most of the media is not even covering it. They're too busy covering Donald Trump and trying to do Hillary's work as an extension of the campaign. Look, I know that these primaries are rough and tumble, and I know you've been going through a lot down in southwest Florida, and apparently you made a mistake, and I guess you talked to this reporter, Mark Caputo, and what happened? Yeah, this guy's kind of a loser. He's not kind of a loser. He is a loser. He's one of these snakes. The long and short of it is without... You know, I don't have enough time to tell you how the whole thing started, but the media, the way they work is they set up a false narrative, as I'm sure you're familiar with, and then they all protect the crown. So they have this narrative going down here that I didn't have any donors in the district, which is simply not true. It's factually incorrect. And one of the local media reporters tweeted that out. So then instead of just correcting their story, which Sean was a thousand percent incorrect, they just couldn't read an FEC report. They were that incompetent, which shows your donors. Instead of correcting it, they, they demanded that we produce sensitive donor information for people People who didn't want to disclose it, which no campaign would ever do. In other words, we lied, and in order to correct the lie, you need to give us this data. So this snake, Caputo, just jumps in out of nowhere because he used to work at the paper in question, the local paper, and he tries to, like, protect the crown and gets on the phone. You know, he starts mouthing off. He records the call with zero consent, by the way, to do it, which in Florida is not legal. It's two-party consent state. And he does what all media people do. He's a snake, and he, by you the know, way, he tries if, to... If you don't, have, to cons- if you don't have consent, he, he can be brought up. Off, wait, 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 this, like I think you just... So that's the well, way that it I think this is important. Day. If it's a two-party record state, New York, I believe, is one. If yeah, you don't is. give your consent and he records you, that is a crime. Are you going to report him? Yeah, we're working on that right now. He, uh, I am not even remotely. Don't, Sean, I know you experienced this in the media, right? This is how it sure. works. They all pile on and they wait for you to cry mercy. And then they all pat each other on the back. Like there's some clown at the post, uh, Weigel, who's always been a clown. I never gave this guy the time of day. And now he's trying to protect his buddy too, you know, with another nonsense piece. This is what they do. And they wait for you to cry mercy. And then when they run into a guy like me who fights back, they don't know what to do. I mean, you have to see what they're talking about there. They're desperate to defend their own credibility because they can't. Now people are starting to pile on them. Like, hey, guys, was this a serious interview? I mean, again, the interview didn't go great, Sean. I'm not crazy about dropping F-bombs on the guy at the end. I have two daughters. But if this guy's waiting for an actually, apology, I actually then... think that a politician that just lets it rip, because these people are awful. I mean, we had this idiot over at the New York Times this week. I've just been so busy. I haven't had time to address it. And, you know, I spend an hour on the phone with this guy, and he publishes next to nothing about what I actually said to him. For example, he went into this long narrative how people are telling him that I'm giving advice to Donald Trump and that Donald Trump is listening and Donald Trump thinks that I'm... People are in the campaign. They think that I want a position in a Trump administration. I'm like, well, if I wanted a position, I probably wouldn't have signed five-year deals with radio and TV recently. And number two, I give advice to everybody. I never stop giving advice. And by the way, Donald Trump does his own man. He does what he wants. I mean, right. the idea so that I know anybody's a lot of wanted to get a, a hold of you business-wise. I know you're happy where you are, so I know that's kind of the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But keep in mind, this Caputo guy. Not that, but I, I mentioned you on the call. I'm like, didn't Hannity embarrass you? This is the same guy who tweeted to you a, a challenge to get into the octagon or something. I, I had a laugh. I'm like, seriously? Your primary is Tuesday, and this is Connie Mack's old district, and I just happen to have a great interest in it. I happen to love the people of Southwest Florida. You have many Midwesterners there, by the way. You know. You know, 70% of Southwest Florida are people that move there from like Wisconsin and Ohio and all other parts of the country. And so they're wonderful people there and it's a great community. And I think what really people should be focused on are the issues. 
And the bottom line is, I think you and I are pretty much in agreement that the country's in a rapid decline. And what are the positions you think you'd fight for if you get this position and get this seat, which I would love to see you get? You know, what are the things that are most important and the top of your agenda? Well, the immigration issue is huge down here. And if there's one, uh, there's, say, a Trump effect in the campaign, he's definitely highlighted this issue as being really important. Down here, it's a huge deal, Sean. People are fed up. You know, I did tell a local reporter down here, and I meant it. Barack Obama changed everything with immigration. His amnesty program, DAPA and DACA, there were a lot of people who were more sympathetic to an immigration policy years ago that they're just not anymore because they're tired of the country being abused. They're tired of people coming here and not following the rules. And so my wife's a legal immigrant, so I'm not going to be lectured by anyone on the immigration process. But the immigration issue down here is huge, and my opponent's completely on the other side. I mean, if you can't do basic things, Sean, like follow the law, then what does any of this represent? What is it? If You know, even kids' clubs have rules, like club rules on the wall. You know, America's club rules are going to come into the country. You have to do it legally. Like, none of this is mysterious. It's only mysterious to liberals and Democrats who are looking for votes. They don't care about immigrants. They care about votes. That's the period. Full, complete stop. That's all they care well, about. Well, you've, you've done a great service to your country um, over these many, many years. You were great at exposing a lot of our security flaws in the country. I think it'd be a great addition to Congress. I know it's an uphill battle for everybody in these primaries because it's kind of an insider's game, and you're not an insider, and uh, the vote takes place on Tuesday, we have a big audience down at Fox uh, Fox News Radio 92.5 and wonderful people there and in Fort Myers and in Naples. So uh, we're pulling for you on Tuesday and we wish you the best of luck. Hey, thanks, Sean. They love you down there at Fox News Radio, by the way. I talk to them a lot. Yeah, they're great people. Wonderful people. Thanks a lot. Really great thanks radio so station. All right, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Hannity, Town Hall, Austin, Texas, topic immigration. With Donald Trump, with Rick Perry, Governor Perry. I sat through that briefing with Perry. It blew my mind at the time. In a a seven-year period of time, 642,000 crimes committed against Texans alone by illegal immigrants. We show that tonight as well. Also, Rudy Giuliani and Senator Jeff Sessions are with him. So, and as well as Donald Trump, that's tonight, 10 Eastern. Hope you'll join us for that. All right, as promised, uh, let's get to our busy telephones. Uh, Cindy is in Michigan. Cindy, hi, how are you? Glad you called. Welcome to the program. Hey, Sean. Um, I heard at the beginning of your show last night how you outlined what the costs and the stats to the taxpayers are for the services to those that are here illegally, the housing, the food stamps, penal system, legal issue, education, medical expenses, and God knows what else they get. And then you have the victims of violence who suffered terrible tragedy at their hands, of those who are here illegally. And not only do the people endure the pain of the loss of a loved one, they also have to pay for those services that are automatically provided to those who are here illegally. It was so important for you, someone, to finally review and post the cost to the citizens. You know, one of the things, and I really appreciate your kind words, I wrote that myself, um, and I put it in teleprompter because I didn't want to forget anything. And the reason I did is because I know nobody has ever put all of that together for their audience. And I, you're never going to see a show like we're doing tonight, like we did last night, on CBS, ABC, NBC, CNN, the Clinton News Network, or MSNBC for sure. You're just never going to see it. This campaign, I know the media wants to talk about the superfluous, the inane, the insignificant, you know, they want to follow Hillary's narrative. They want to they want to talk about everything but Benghazi and Mohammed Morsi 
and and Hillary's disastrous policies with Iran, her absolute disaster of a policy with uh, with Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan and Vladimir Putin. They just they want to talk about Donald Trump's tone. And you know what? Donald Trump had the courage to say something that is just absolutely a fact. The impact of illegal immigration on this country is enormous. And it is costing us our criminal justice system, our educational system, our health care system. It is hurting us crime wise. Look, I, I have the numbers here in front of me that I used last night. You got one hundred and thirteen billion dollars per year spent on illegal immigration. States are shelling out eighty four billion a year, forty nine billion for education, ten point eight billion on medical care, nine point six billion on general expenses, eight point seven billion on justice expenditures. billion on welfare-related costs. You know, illegal immigrants make up 5.1% of the labor force, but we've got 95 million Americans out of work, over 8 million illegals working in the country right now. You know, if you look at, you know, if you look at the percentages of crimes and you break down the numbers the federal sentence has given out last year, well, 18% of all drug trafficking convictions or sentences handed out last year were to illegal immigrants. 30% of federal sentences for kidnapping and hostage-taking went to illegal immigrants. 75% of drug possession, federal sentences handed out, went to illegal immigrants. 10% of money laundering, 21% of national defense sentences, 5% of murder sentences. You know, it is having an enormous impact. And we have 300 sanctuary cities in America which protect and shelter people. So I think the issue is huge. Add to that the refugee issue and and Hillary wanting to increase refugees that we know we can't properly vet at a rate of 550 percent. Well, I think they're gambling with the lives of the American people by not solving the problem. I think it's that big an issue. Now, if the media is going to ignore substance, I'll do their job. I appreciate the opening and the opportunity, but I don't think you're going to see CNN ever do anything like that. So, you know, I, I yeah, go ahead. Hopefully those numbers will keep getting out there repeatedly over, over, and over again till people really see and hear the impact of what it is to us. And while I sympathize with those who live in countries other than the USA, it's time we take care of our first, Sean. You know better than anyone how our veterans suffer, our young children in, in the inner cities of Chicago, the violence and that. It's time to start focusing on our own first and into those who have sacrificed to make our lives safe and our lives better. Mr. Trump, build the wall and vet those who are coming into our country. Sean, thank you for the job that you do. And well, I Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, 800-941-SEAN, Richmond, Virginia. Della is next on the Sean Hannity Show. How are you, Della? Hi, Sean. It seems terrible, the tragedy that's happened in Louisiana, and I'm glad that Obama has gone there and said that, well, he did say that the government can't do everything and that people need to pitch in. And as usual, Americans of all religions and faiths get together, raise money, take food, load up buses and go and help those that are affected by these things. But I don't ever see any mosque or imams going out and recruiting their congregations to go to these places and help out. And that seems to be a strictly american quality that we always help those in need and when they're affected by these these terrible storms and stuff so if you want to be an american don't you think it seems like you should embrace the culture 
You know, I, you, I don't know. That, now, I did go to Tony Perkins' church uh, down when we were in Baton Rouge, and I, 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 I honestly wrote Franklin Graham and donated money to his group, Samaritan's Purse, because they're on the ground there, and I saw a lot of those volunteers. I just don't know the answer. I don't know people of other faiths that are helping. I would like to think that they are, so I, ca- I can't comment well, intelligently on it, but, and I appreciate the call, but I, I do know this. We are the most generous people on earth, and I tried to... I got a day off politics, which for me, 80 days out of an election is very hard to do. But these people were suffering and they needed the coverage. And it was an honor to go down there and meet them. And it was so sad to see so many people's lives. I mean, street after street, home after home, neighborhood after neighborhood, these homes were all destroyed. It'll impact at least 150,000 people, if not more. Entire communities will not be rebuilt, I can tell you. It it, It just breaks your heart. Because you know what it takes to get your first home. I know what it took for me. I mean, I'm, I went from not being able to pay my rent and doing work for my landlord to being able to buy my first house in Atlanta, in Roswell, Georgia, when I was a radio host down there. And I paid it like $114,000, $13,000, whatever it was for this house. And I thought it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my life. And then to see that all go up in smoke in some cases when people lose it to fire or, in this case, flooding. It just is sad to see, and, and people were told this is a non-flood zone, so they didn't buy flood insurance. And I met so many people, that, I mean, they're fortunate as much as people are going to take them in. Other people are not as fortunate. It was sad. Uh, Barbara Baltimore, WCBM. You know, we recently lost a dear friend of ours. I talked about it at the time. Tom Marr was a longtime host on WCBM. I just love the guy. I, I saw oh, him not... Yes. I love the I guy. I saw him not long before he died, and he was irascible. He was irreverent. He was iconoclastic. He was funny. He always had a smile on his face. He was a passionate patriot. I love the guy, and uh, I, I talked to members of his family, and they're in my our thoughts and prayers still, and it happened very suddenly, and uh, we're just very sad about it. We're going to feel that loss for a long time. I really uh, love Tom. Uh, yeah, he had what a, a great, great guy. Set of, he had a great set of pipes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah he, you know what? He, he Did you work in radio? Because that's a radio term. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, he always, you know, he would always refer to uh, pipes. So, and he yeah, didn't well, have a great That's pair. what we call him. It's like our instrument here. I wish I had his set of pipes. He had a great set of pipes. You're right. <laughs> uh, Sean, I just want to uh, thank you uh, for being, um, just for doing what you do, no matter what, and bringing the facts to us as they are. I can just see uh, you've got to pass this on. I can see the Sean Hannity Network and School of Journalism and leave a legacy. You could have your own network with all your guys on the street uh, getting real news, and it would just be fantastic. Just a thought. But, you know, uh, I'm going to really tell you something. It. It's interesting you say that. Now, I'm, I'm under contract for five more years, so I'm, I'm not going anywhere. God willing, I'll, I'll be alive and around and healthy. I'm, try, I'm trying to stay in shape with my martial arts, and I'm still rel- relatively young, so I, I, I would like to keep doing what I'm doing because I love it. And But I will tell you, I talked once to Jerry Falwell, President Falwell of Liberty University, and we talked at length about the media. And they have one great journalism department at Liberty University. It's a great place to send your kids. It's a Christian university. I mean, this place is just rocking. It's really well done. And it's a great campus and stuff. Anyway, so I was talking to him. I honestly wouldn't mind doing something like that in my life. 
I don't know what that I don't know what God has planned for me. I never made any decisions about my life. When when opportunities, I only made a decision that I wanted to do a radio show, and I felt I wanted to do it. Then I just then when opportunity came, I jumped, scared to death, but I jump. Next opportunity came, I take a dive. Next opportunity came, I dive again, and I never expected to be you know here talking to you today. I, I can promise you that, and it wasn't well, planned I thank out. God for you. you know, I thank God for blessing me more than I definitely deserve. Well, I just I just wanted to, to I'm so glad I was able to get on to tell you uh, what a fantastic job you are doing. You uh, bring the facts out, and as far as Mr. Trump, we couldn't have a better candidate. Uh, that town hall uh, was fantastic. I look forward to looking at it again tonight. And um, you did, I'd like to just address something that was said earlier uh, when asked about significant improvements of uh, Obama in the black community. The answer is none. There have been none. You know, why do you think it is, and I don't know if you're a black American or not, but I, I, I am, I, you know, uh, why do you think it is that here I've got all this data that proves just the opposite? I asked the guy the question. He doesn't want to answer because there is no answer. And then he gives me all these nonspecific general generalities and, and platitudes and cliches. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, you've got to be pretty blind not to accept that this has gotten so bad for the black community. It has. And I'm, I'm so grateful to Mr. Trump for being the voice that comes out and, and asks for the black vote and put that case out there in front of people. And Sheriff Clark said something. The cotton fields have replaced, been replaced by the ghetto. And it is a ghetto. Well, I don't like to Democrat use these analogies, but I, I will tell you this. If you believe as I do, and I, I'm, I'm Christian. I was raised Catholic. I consider myself a Christian. I'm not the best churchgoer in the world. I read the good book, and I believe everything in it, and I know that, you know, I'm not one of the I'm one of the ones that needs the saving. OK, because I know I'm not the person that I could be. All right. That's how I interpret my Christianity. And I know God sacrificed his only son for our sins. I believe that with all my heart. Yes. Right. Yeah. All right. But here's here's what I don't understand. If we believe that every person was created by the same God sent to this earth with talent and ability, and we send these kids decade after decade to failing schools and we send these kids into an environment where there's drugs and gangs and crime and, and misery, and we don't do anything to fix it. I, I, it blows my mind that this has been allowed to occur because all of that brilliant potential, and it's not just it's black America, inner city America, anybody living in an inner city, we have failed them miserably. And then you have people Absolutely. like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. They've done nothing to shake up this system, which would be give parents money, give them choice, let schools compete. And the best schools are going to get the most money because they're going to do the better job of raising and educating our kids and let these kids go to schools in uniforms, put their hands at the edge of their desk, bring their their teacher and Apple, shut their mouths, learn reading, writing, and arithmetic. Let's stop with the multicultural, politically correct nonsense, and let's start competing, considering we spend per capita more per student than any industrialized country in the world. We're failing these children, and Absolutely we're, we're blowing them. all of the good potential that they have to make our country a better place. And that's sad. And when you have 50% of black teenagers can't get a summer job, if I didn't have a summer job, I would have been in trouble with my dopey friends. If you have, if you have a 58% increase, black Americans on food stamps since Obama's president, 20% increase, black Americans not in the labor force since he's been president, we're failing that community. And if we love them, we're going to help them.
You can't have illegal immigrants taking jobs away from African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, and all Americans. It's ridiculous. You see what you did, Barbara? You got me worked up. This is something that Tom would do, by the way. He'd get worked up, too, right? <laughs> yes, he did. He would get worked up, and he was worked up about Donald Trump. And uh, I, I just love the fact that Mr. Trump is bringing that message, and he's not backing down on it. He's not waffling. He's not uh, uh, changing up. Uh, flip-flopping, as I've heard people say. Well, he I, is, I, he's just nailing it down and nailing it factually right where it and laying it at the feet. All of these problems are at the feet of the Democrat Party. They created it, and he's going to fix well, it. And now these Republicans that are sabotaging Trump, they own Hillary if she wins, as far as I'm concerned. i got to run. Barbara, God bless you. Our thoughts and prayers again to the Marr family. Thank you for being with us. Hey, if you want a firearm that is easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from our friends at Henry Repeating Arms. Now, it is a portable rifle that you can put together, take apart in just minutes, and then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case that it comes in. It's so small, you can store it pretty much anywhere, and it's light enough to carry everywhere. Now, it comes in black and two different camo patterns, and you can pick one up for three to 400 bucks, depending on the finish. Check out their videos. Go to their website. It's one word, henryusa.com slash survival. And while you're there, make sure you order their free catalog. Now, Henry makes more than 200 rifles and shotguns and revolvers, all made in America, all backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website, henryusa.com. Get their free catalog. They'll send you free decals and a list of dealers where you are. That's HenryUSA.com, free catalog decals for the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. Hollywood is under siege from an external force. Now, the same Hollywood that sold the American dream, they are now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Now, you can join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in the Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some of the major studios. Now, don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. And for a limited time, you can watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. Hey, when you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about those out-of-pocket costs. Now, that could be a lot of money, but are your medical bills accurate? Now, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills actually contain errors. Now, HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, or fraud. Now, you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, to date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Check them out online, healthlock.com. Go there today.